Book Three, Canto Five, The Legend of Britomartis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer, Book Three, The Legend of Britomartis, Canto Five. Prince Arthur hears of Florimel. Three fosters Timius wound. Belphoebe finds him almost dead, And reareth out of sound. Wonder it is to see in diverse minds How diversely love doth his pageants play, And shows his power in variable kinds, The baser wit, whose idle thoughts all way Are wont to cleave unto the lowly clay. It stirreth up to sensual desire, And in lewd sloth to waste his careless day. But in brave sprite it kindles goodly fire, That to all high desert and honor doth aspire. Nay suffereth it uncomely idleness, In his free thought to build her sluggish nest. Nay suffereth it thought of ungentleness, Ever to creep into his noble breast. But to the highest, and the worthiest lifteth it up, That else would lowly fall. It lets not fall, it lets it not to rest, It lets not scarce this prince to breathe at all, But to his first pursuit him forward still doth call. Who long time wandered through the forest wide To find some issue thence, Till that at last he met a dwarf That seemed terrified, with some late peril, which he hardly passed, or other accident, which him aghast, of whom he asked, whence he lately came, and whither now he travelled so fast. For sore he swat, and running through the same thick forest was bescratched, and both his feet nigh lame. Panting for breath, and almost out of heart, the dwarf him answered, Sir, ill mote I stay to tell the same. I lately did depart from fairy court, Where I have many a day served a gentle lady of great sway, And high account throughout all elfin land, Who lately left the same, and took this way. Her now I seek, and if ye understand which way she fared hath, Good sir, tell out of hand. What, Mr. White, said he, and how arrayed, Royally clad, quoth he, in cloth of gold, As meetest may beseem, a noble maid, Her fairer lockers in rich circlet be enrolled, A fairer white did never sun behold, And on a palfrey rides more white than snow, Yet she herself is whiter manifold. The surest sign, whereby ye may her know, Is that she is fairest white alive, I trow. Now, certes, Swain, said he, such one I ween, Flying fast through this forest from her foe, A foul, ill-favoured foster I have seen, Herself, well as I might, I rescued though, But could not stay, so fast she did forego, Carried away with wings of speedy fear. Ah, dearest God, quoth he, that is great woe, And wondrous ruth to all that shall it hear. 
But can you read, sir, how I may find her, or where? Perdi, me laver were to wait in that, said he, then ransom of the richest knight, or all the good that ever yet I got. But froward fortune, and too forward knight, such happiness did, Mulgray, to me spite, and fro me reft both life and light atone. But dwarf, a reed, what is that lady bright that through this forest wandereth thus alone? For of her error strange, I have great ruth and moan. That lady is, quoth he, whereso she be, the bounteous virgin and most debonair that ever living eye, I ween, did see. Lives none this day that may with her compare in steadfast chastity and virtue rare, the goodly ornaments of beauty bright, and as eclipsed, Florimel the fair, fair Florimel, beloved of many a knight, yet she loves none but one, that Marinel is height, a sea-nymph's son, that Marinel is height, of my dear dame is loved dearly well, in other none but him she sets delight, all her delight is set on Marinel, but he sets not at all by Florimel, for ladies love his mother long ago, did him, they say, forewarn, through sacred spell. But fame now flies, that of a foreign foe, he is slain, which is the ground of all our woe. Five days there be since he, they say, was slain, and four since Florimel the court forewent, and vowed never to return again, till him alive or dead she did invent. Therefore, fair sir, for love of knighthood gent, and honour of true ladies, if ye may, by your good counsel, or bold hardiment, or succour her, or me direct the way, do one or other good, I you most humbly pray. So may ye gain to your full great renown, of all good ladies through the world so wide, and haply in her heart find highest realm, of whom ye seek to be most magnified, at least eternal meed, Shall you abide, to whom the prince, Dwarf, comfort to thee take, For till thou tidings learn, What her betide, I hear a vow thee never to forsake. Ill wears he armors, That nil them use for ladies' sake. So with the dwarf he back returned again, To seek his lady, where he mote her find. But by the way he greatly again complained, The want of his good squire late left behind, For whom he wondrous pensive grew in mind, For doubt of danger, which mote him betide, For him he loved above all mankind, Having him true and faithful ever tried, And bold as ever squire that waited by knight's side, Who all this while full hardy was assayed Of deadly danger, which to him betid. For whiles his lord pursued that noble maid, After that foster fowl he fiercely rid, To be avenged of the shame he did to that fair damsel. Him he chased long through the thick woods, Wherein he would have hid his shameful head From his avengement strong, And oft him threatened death for his outrageous wrong. Natheless the villain sped himself so well, whether through swiftness of his speedy beast, or knowledge of these woods, where he did dwell, that shortly he from danger was released, and out of sight escaped, at the least. 
yet not escaped from the due reward of his bad deeds, which daily he increased. Nay, ceased not, till him oppressed hard the heavy plague that for such lechers is prepared. For soon as he was vanished, out of sight, his coward courage gan emboldened be, and cast to avenge him of that foul despite which he had borne of his bold enemy, though to his brethren came. For they were three ungracious children of one graceless sire, and unto them complained how that he had used been of that foolhardy squire. So them with bitter words he stirred to bloody ire, Forth with themselves with their sad instruments of spoil and murder they gan arm belive, and with him forth into the forest went, to wreak the wrath which he did erst revive in their stern breasts, on him which late did drive their brother to reproach and shameful flight. For they had vowed that never he alive out of that forest should escape their might, Vile rancor their rude hearts had filled with such despite. Within that wood there was a covered glade, For by a narrow ford, to them well known, Through which it was uneath for white to wade, And now by fortune it was overflown. By that same way they knew that squire unknown Mote Algate's pass, For thy themselves they set there in await With thicker woods, overgrown, and all the while their malice they did whet with cruel threats his passage through the ford to let. It fortuned, as they devised had, the gentle squire came riding that same way, unwitting of their wild and treason bad, and through the ford to pass and did assay, but that fierce foster which late fled away, stoutly forth stepping on the further shore, him boldly bade his passage there to stay, till he had made amends, and full restore for all the damage which he had him done afore. With that at him a quivering dart he threw, with so fell force in villainous despite, that through his haberian the forkhead flew, and through the linked males him pierced quite, but had no power in his soft flesh to bite. That stroke, the hardy squire did sore displease, but more that him he could not come to smite, or by no means the high banker he could seize, but laboured long in that deep afford with vain disease. And still the foster with his long boar spear him kept from landing at his wished will. Anon one sent out of the thicket near a cruel shaft, headed with deadly ill and feathered with an unlucky quill. The wicked steel stayed not till it did light in his left thigh, and deeply did it thrill. Exceeding grief that wound in him impite, but more that with his foes he could not come to fight. At last, through wrath and vengeance making way, he on the bank arrived with mickle pain, where the third brother him did sore assay, and drove at him with all his might and main, a forest bill which both his hands did strain, but warily he did avoid the blow, and with his spear requited him again, that both his sides were thrilled with the throw, and a large stream of blood out of the wound did flow. He, tumbling down, with gnashing teeth, did bite the bitter earth, 
and bade to let him in into the baleful house of endless night where wicked ghosts do wail their former sin though gan the battle freshly to begin for nethermore for that spectacle bad did thother too their cruel vengeance blend but both the taunts on both sides him bestad and load upon him laid his life for to have had though when that villain he avised which late affrighted had the fairest florimel full of fierce fury and indignant hate to him he turned and with rigor fell smote him so rudely on the panicel that to the chin he cleft his head in twain down on the ground his carcass grovelling fell his sinful soul with desperate disdain out of her fleshly firm fled to the place of pain that sieg now the only last of three who with that wicked shaft him wounded had trembling with horror as that did foresee the fearful end of his avengement sad through which he follow should his brethren bad his bootless bow and feeble hand upcaught and therewith shot an arrow at the lad which faintly fluttering scarce his helmet wrought and glancing fell to ground but him annoyed not with that he would have fled into the wood but timias him lightly overhint rightly as he entering was into the flood and struck him with a force so violent that headless him into the ford he sent the carcass with the stream was carried down but the head fell backward on the continent so mischief fell upon the meaner's crown they three be dead with shame the squire lives with renown he lives but takes small joy of his renown for of that cruel wound he bled so sore that from his steed he fell in deadly swoon yet still the blood forth gushed in so great store that he lay wallowed all in his own gore now god thee keep thou gentlest squire alive else shall thy loving lord thee see no more but both of comfort him thou shalt deprive and ache thyself of honour which thou didst achieve providence heavenly passeth living thought and doth for wretched men's relief make way for lo great grace our fortune thither brought comfort to him that comfortless now lay in those same woods he well remember may how a noble huntress did one she that base braggadocio did affray and made him fast out of the forest run belphoebe was her name as fair as phoebus son she on a day as she pursued the chase of some wild beast which with her arrows keen she wounded had the same along did trace by tract of blood which she had freshly seen to have besprinkled all the grassy green by the great pursue which she had there perceived well hoped she the beast in gourd had been and made more haste the life to have bereaved but ah her expectation greatly was deceived shortly she came whereas that woeful squire with blood deformed lay in deadly swoon in whose fair eyes like lamps of quenched fire the crystal humour stood congealed round his locks like faded leaves fallen to ground knotted with blood in bunches rudely ran and his sweet lips on which before that stoned the bud of 
youth to blossom fair began. Spoiled of their rosy red were waxen pale and wan. Saw never living eye a more heavy sight that could have made a rock of stone to rue or writhe in twain, which when that lady bright besides all hope with melting eyes did view, all suddenly abashed she changed hue and with stern horror backward gan to start. But when she better him beheld, she grew full of soft passion and unwanted smart. The point of pity pierced through her tender heart. Meekly she bowed down to wait if life yet in his frozen members did remain, and feeling by his pulses beating rife that the weak soul her seat did yet retain, she cast to comfort him with busy pain. His double-folded neck she reared upright, and rubbed his temples and each trembling vein. His mailed Hiberian she did undight, and from his head his heavy burgonet did light. Into the woods thenceforth in haste she went to seek for herbs that mote him remedy, for she of herbs had great intendiment, taught of the nymph, which from her infancy her nurse had in true nobility. There, whether it divine tobacco were, or panacea, or polygony, she found and brought it to her patient dear, who all this while lay bleeding out his heart-blood near. The sovereign weed betwixt two marbles plain, she pounded small and did in pieces bruise, and then atween her lily hands twain, into his wound the juice thereof did screws and round about as she could well it use the flesh therewith she suppled and did steep to bait all spasm and soak the swelling bruise and after having searched the intuse deep she with her scarf did bind the wound from coal to keep by this he had sweet life recured again and groaning inly deep at last his eyes his watery eyes drizzling like dewy rain he up gan lift toward the azure skies from whence descend all hopeless remedies therewith he sighed and turning him aside the goodly maid full of divinities and gifts of heavenly grace he by him spied her bow and gilden quiver lying him beside mercy dear lord said he what grace is this that thou hast showed to me sinful wight to send thine angel from her bower of bliss to comfort me in my distressed plight. Angel or goddess do I call thee right? What service may I do unto thee meet that hast from darkness me returned to light? And with thy heavenly salves and medicine sweet hast dressed my sinful wounds, I kiss thy blessed feet. Thereat she blushing said, Ah, gentle squire, nor goddess I, nor angel, but the maid, and daughter of a woody nymph, desire no service, but thy safety and aid, which if thou gain I shall be well appaid. We mortal whites, whose lives and fortunes be, to common accidents still open laid, are bound with common bond of frailty, to succor wretched whites, whom we captived see. By this her damsels, which the former chase had undertaken after her arrived, as did Belphoebe in the bloody place, and thereby deemed the beast had been deprived of life, whom late their lady's arrow 
rived. For thy the bloody track they follow fast, And every one to run the swiftest strived. But two of them the rest far overpassed, And where their lady was arrived at last. Where when they saw that goodly boy with blood defouled, And their lady dressed his wound, They wondered much, and shortly understood How him in deadly case their lady found, And rescued out of the heavy stound. Eft soons his warlike courser, which was strayed far in the woods, whiles that he lay and swooned. She made those damsels search, which, being stayed, they did him set thereon, and forthwith them conveyed. Into that forest far they thence him led, where was their dwelling in a pleasant glade, with mountains round about environed, and mighty woods which did the valley shade, and like a stately theatre it made, spreading itself into a spacious plain, and in the midst a little river played, amongst the pumy stones which seemed to plain, with gentle murmur that his course they did restrain. Beside the same a dainty place there lay, planted with myrtle trees and laurels green, in which the birds sung many a lovely lay of God's high praise, and of their love's sweet teen, as it an earthly paradise had been, in whose enclosed shadow there was pight, a fair pavilion scarcely to be seen, the which was all within most richly dight, that greatest prince's living it mote well delight. Thither they brought that wounded squire, and laid in easy couch his feeble limbs to rest. He rested him a while, and then the maid his ready wound with better salves, new dressed. Daily she dressed him, and did the best his grievous hurt to garish, that shortly she his dolor hath redressed, and his foul sore reduced to fair plight. It she reduced, but himself destroyed quite. O oh, foolish physic and unfruitful pain that heals up one, and makes another wound. She his hurt thigh to him recured again, but hurt his heart, the which before was sound, through an unwary dart which did rebound from her fair eyes and gracious countenance. What boots it him from death to be unbound, to be captive in endless durance of sorrow and despair without allegiance? Still as his wound did gather and grow whole, so still his heart walks sore, and health decayed, madness to save a part and lose the whole, still when as he beheld the heavenly maid, whilst daily plasters to his wound she laid, so still his malady the more increased, the whiles her matchless beauty him dismayed. Ah, God, what other could he do at least but love so fair a lady that his life released? Long while he strove in his courageous breast with reason due the passion to subdue, and love for to dislodge out of his nest, still when her excellencies he did view, her sovereign bounty and celestial hue, the same to love he strongly was constrained, but when his mean estate he did review, he from such hardy boldness was restrained, and of his luckless lot in cruel love thus plained. Unthankful wretch, said he, is this the meed 
with which her sovereign mercy thou dost quite thy life she saved by her gracious deed but thou dost wean with villainous despite to blot her honour and her heavenly light die rather die then so disloyally deem of her high desert or seem so light fair death it is to shun more shame to die die rather die than ever love disloyally but if to love disloyalty it be shall i then hate her that from death's door me brought ah far be such reproach from me what can i less do than her love therefore since thy due reward cannot restore die rather die and dying do her serve dying her serve and living her adore thy life she gave thy life she doth deserve die rather die than ever from her service swerve but foolish boy what boots thy service base to her to whom the heavens do serve and sue thou a mean squire of meek and lowly place she heavenly born and of celestial hue how then of all love taketh equal view and doth not highest god vouchsafe to take the love and service of the basest crew if she will not die meekly for her sake die rather die than ever so fair love forsake thus worried he long time against his will till that through weakness he was forced at last to yield himself unto the mighty ill which as a victor proud gan ransack fast his inward parts and all his entrails waste that neither blood in face nor life in heart it left but both did quite dry up and blast as piercing leaven which the inner part of everything consumes and calcineth by art which seeing fair belphoebe gan to fear lest that his wound were inly well not healed or that the wicked steel empoisoned were little she weened that love he close concealed yet still he wasted as the snow congealed when the bright sun his beams thereon doth beat yet never he his heart to her revealed but rather chose to die for sorrow great than with dishonourable terms her to entreat she gracious lady yet no pains did spare to do him ease or do him remedy many restoratives of virtues rare and costly cordials she did apply to mitigate his stubborn malady but that sweet cordial which can restore a lovesick heart she did to him envy to him and to all the unworthy world forlore she did envy that sovereign salve in secret store that dainty rose the daughter of her morn more dear than life she tendered whose flower the girland of her honour did adorn nay suffered she the midday scorching power nay the sharp northern wind thereon to shower but lapped up her silken leaves most chair when so the froward sky began to lower but soon as calmed was the crystal air she did it fair dispread and let to flourish fair eternal god in his almighty power to make in sample of his heavenly grace in paradise we long did plant this flower 
whence he it fetched out of her native place, and did in stock of earthly flesh enrace, that mortal men her glory should admire, in gentle lady's breast and bounteous race of womankind its fairest flower doth spire, and beareth fruit of honour and all chaste desire. Fair imps of beauty, whose bright shining beams adorn the world with like to heavenly light, and to your wills both royalties and realms subdue, through conquest of your wondrous might, with this fair flower your goodly girlands dight, of chastity and virtue virginal, that shall embellish more your beauty bright, and crown your heads with heavenly coronal, such as the angels wear before the gods' tribunal. To your fair selves a fair ensample frame, of this fair virgin, this Belphoebe fair, to whom in perfect love and spotless fame of chastity none living may compare, ne poisonous envy justly can impair the praise of her flesh-flowering maidenhead, for thy she standeth on the highest stair of the honourable stage of womanhead, that ladies all may follow her in sample dead. In so great praise of steadfast chastity, natheless she was so courteous and kind, tempered with grace and goodly modesty, that seemed those virtues strove to find the higher place in her heroic mind. So striving, each did other more augment, and both increased the praise of womankind, and both increased her beauty excellent. So all did make in her perfect compliment. End of Canto 5, Book 3 The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer